Bless us. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Thank you for the gathering and thank you for time in your word and our discussions during the week and just pursuing you. We'd ask that you, we would be drawn to more and more of it. In your son's name, amen. Well, as you can tell, we're in 1 John. 1 John is one of those rich, topically driven books, which John, because he writes so um, emotionally, covers an awful lot in very few verses. The book primarily is about how do you know you're a Christian? I'm looking at a verse here on the page. My Bible just happened to be open to 1 John. Um, in chapter 5, 13, it says, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's, that's why I'm writing you, that you would know that you have eternal life. A lot of people, I was in a discussion this week, uh, a few, let's just say, theologians were over at my house. And when I say theologians, I didn't really grasp, I mean, I got a sense of where they were coming from theologically, but, but they were the kind of people who would argue over the title of a book. The kind of people that knew a lot, a lot more than I did. I mean, they knew their Greek and they knew Hebrew. And they were really conscious of what Thomas Aquinas said about X. And, and I, I, I tried to engage, you know, I said, okay, what can I actually say here? I must sound retarded to these people. And I introduced a few things that were just my own creation. They weren't Thomas Aquinas's or, or Anselm's or whoever else they brought up. Um, and they didn't understand it. They, like, I couldn't because it wasn't even inside. They are willing to discuss and be educated in everything that has already been declared. But they can't revisit and think about something fresh. No, I could have been dead wrong. But midway through the conversation after that, it had, it had gone its own way and we had talked about... And one of them asked the group, and to me directly in the group, um, well, what would I call heresy? I mean, what would I be willing to say was heretical? So that brought up this question. Because in a, in, at least for my understanding, is that which God accepts, I think I ought to accept. You know, I think if God has... And how do I know? The whole idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ falls back on how do you know you or they are saved? Because if God listened to their prayer, however erroneous, I need to conclude it in faith, you know, not saying it's true, but it doesn't get in the way of being a Christian. A lot of people think it's much easier to have a, a code that you believe this about the Trinity, this about the person of Jesus Christ, this about the nature of the mechanism of the gospel, this about end times, and if you believe that, you're a Christian. 
Or again, if you go through a particular ritual, baptism, Lord's Supper, whatever it is. I think we ought to start at the beginning again because your religion your religion uh, is something at its beginning. Um, I, I, Greg gave me a copy of the movie Risen last week and Leslie and I watched it yesterday and I think it had some good points. Um, but because they were making a movie about the post-resurrection meeting with the apostles, they had to portray what they think the beginning of Christianity was like. I did not have that thought that they thought. Um, but there you have it. Different views of what is the beginning of your religion. What is it about? What is it that you were speaking to or thinking or believing or trusting. Coming out of chapter 3 of 1 John, now this is one of the things that assures us of our salvation. Back in 19 it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. That's the preceding this few verses ahead of this and it talks about keeping his commandments verse 23 then says here on your sheet and this is his commandment that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us all who keep his commandments abide in him and he in them and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us now, one of the things you have to do with 1 John or any passage that has to do with this is what makes a believer, you don't take it in, you might say, in isolation. You don't say, well, if I believe that in the name of Jesus Christ, I am in. It has actually other things that can be accounted for. John, the Gospel of, over on the left-hand side, the first thing on the left-hand side column, John 8 says, he who is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Those are black and white things which John is very fond of doing. But you don't want to say, and that is all it is. Little, another place in the uh, epistle of um, John, it talks about no one can say uh, Jesus is Lord except by... Um, uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, all right, where is that verse? I can't find it right off. Um, we don't want to make this a sort of a single rule that if I hop on the single rule. And the single rule is supposed to be describing, not measuring. Okay? There isn't an on-off place that we're telling you what belief in the name of the Son of God is measured by. It's a description of who you are rather than a measurement. It's not a weighing in the balance. It's a pointing you out on the street. 
Okay? Do you, do you understand that distinction? Rather than being a, um, a very sciencey uh, conclusion that he's got 12 grams of Jesus, and that's enough. We hear that only 8 grams is necessary to be saved, and we've got 12 grams clearly in this person. We're not measuring. We're looking at. We're describing what the faith is like. Because you went through it, you, as you came into your faith in Jesus Christ, you came into that which changed the description of you. And sometimes you lost your faith in your faith, or you, you were wondering about, am I saved? Because you were tempted at one point to measure. When it told you back there in chapter uh, 3 that we reassure our hearts before him, even when our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts. We're describing the life we have in Christ. We're describing the encounter with the conviction of God. You know that he chastises the son whom he loves. We're supposed to have the right description so that as we live our lives, our description holds and we're looking at fellow believers this way. It's not just ourselves. As it says, if we should believe in the name of the Son, the name of His Son Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us, all who keep His commandments abide in Him, and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us. So it's not just you inside of you, it's you recognizing outside of you. It's a description that holds. Believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Now, what is the measure of how many grams is belief in his son, Jesus Christ? What did John mean? What is it actually describing? I knew somebody a number of years ago who ended up in a bad way, not believing really anymore. And this person had lived with us, and this person had been very intelligent and very discussy, you know, liked to discuss all sorts of things. And as I reminisced, having watched the train wreck, Reminisce to that back in those days where there was an interesting conversation going on in the library with this person because they could be on the topic of something. That it was never on the topic of his son, Jesus Christ. Ever. There was no glorying in it. There was no rejoicing in it. There was no wonder about it. There was no pursuit of what it was represented as in the scripture, it was just never, ever Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of theology out there. There's a lot of intelligent conversation out there. And we sometimes, in an intelligent conversation ministry, like we are at Big House, we um, are tempted to grant graces to intelligent conversation. This is what, how we know by this we know who abides in us. Is this description act? They believe in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, 
And do they love one another? That was the other aspect of these theologians I was talking to. Nice enough guys, but couldn't tell they loved anybody. They barely loved uh, Thomas Aquinas. Talked about him a lot. Couldn't, yeah, they were nice enough, genial enough, but not the love of the brethren. So I'm not sure. They might be Christians. I, I would trust that they are. They profess to be. But they weren't talking about Jesus Christ. Do you? That's the other side of the coin. Now whether these theologians, yeah, like people who are all smarty pants about the Bible. Not like me, regular Joe, I work for a living. Yeah, well, do you talk about Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ? Notice how they work that in? His Son, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ isn't a man who made it. Isn't a man walking through life on whom God conferred the gift of a whole, his Holy Spirit to deify him somehow. He is the Son of God. Do you believe? No, you can believe what you like. It's America. You can believe in Chevy and you can believe in Ford. Do what you want. Recognize what you're doing, though. Christianity, according to the Apostle John, is one in which the elevation of the name of Jesus the Christ is crucial as is the love you have and, and one more thing. Now, oh, this is really mean, too. John, John's always doing things like this. You would like to have some markers, thank you very much, that, well, if they attend church three out of four Sundays, a lot of you are in trouble, three out of four Sundays, and involved in one weekday Christian event, boy, man, you can have little cards that you get printed up by the church to check off the three Sundays and the one weekday event. He says, and by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit which he has given us. Faith and love, believe in the name of the Son of God, love for the brethren, all because of Christ, measured spiritually. Now, again, I, I like philosophy. I like reading stuff. I like arguing with people. I like winning arguments. That's why I do it. And I know what the right response to this is. Some, some of you have charismatic backgrounds. I do not. I have a Southern Baptist background, which is neither rational nor charismatic. It's just difficult. Christianity measured by how difficult it is. What happened? Somebody says, well, you know, dude, we are, uh, we just kind of feel it. We kind of feel it. Part of the problem with the Risen movie was I wanted to punch a few of the disciples. 
Um, it, was, it was never a cold, clear answer. It was always, we love so much. Okay. The Roman legionary is, is, is becoming more attractive to me. And his worship of Mars, you know. But, so what, what, my natural response, I know what's happening here. St. John goes, and you know that by the spirit he has given us. What's the problem with that? Well, that's so subjective, right? Wouldn't it be great if the church here, All Souls, had a chart that measured what we thought Christianity was supposed to be? And having been that, and then on one side of the door it has the chart that says what you've got to achieve. And then the other side would be a graph with all of your names on it and how you're doing in the belief in the sun part and the love one another part and how much spirit you have. Wouldn't that be nice? A little more objective, a little bit more measurable. Well, we know that this is subjectivism, but we don't get to be not that, because all is subjectivism. And the writer of the, the epistle knows this. He says, Beloved, verse 1 of chapter 4, do not believe every spirit. He knows, he's on board with this. He knows what, that, you know, I really am a spiritual person. When someone says they're really a spiritual person, I'm not religious, I'm really spiritual. Yeah, what, what spirit is it? The spirit that he made to dwell within you is going to be described as believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And loving one another. Minimal. But John knows. He says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. First generation Christianity. John the Apostle is writing a nice emotional letter that little soft focus around the edges and we kind of... But you don't realize the church was being attacked by false teachers by that time. People trying to lead disciples after themselves with doctrines they made up. If you want to be part of not the doctrines man made up, if you want to say, I want to be in a church, you say, let's say, what if what's wrong with all souls? All sorts of problems could be wrong. Heaven has a reputation for odd ideas. Well, you listen to whether or not you draw closer to Jesus Christ. Wherever you go in your life, are you getting closer to Jesus Christ? Are you being made more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you, are you find that the Lord Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of everything going on and love for one another? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, the spirit that we are of needs to be the ground of that love and obedience. And verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. He says, oh, good. Good, we're getting, those of you who want the measure, it's still going to be a description. But you're going to know whether or not the Spirit of God is in a group. You're off for a vacation, you want to go to church. You're, you move away from here because of a good job situation. You want to find a church. You want to find believers with which to hang. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit which confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Now remember, this is not a, a single 
or what do they call it? It's a necessary condition, it is not a sufficient condition. You cannot have a body of people, religious body, who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, be a Christian church. They must confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. To have confessed that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but then they hate their neighbor. It's necessary but insufficient. But what's interesting about this, this is something I just noticed. He comes back around to what you do with the person of Jesus Christ. And one good thing about this movie yesterday was the Roman legionary tribune who was chasing down the resurrected, uh, the disciples interrogating them, and they're all talking blathering nonsense. The, the, that part of the story was, was Bible story obfuscation. You know, we're not going to say a straight answer to anything, but we're going to just be really dreamy and a little bit, you know, uh, the dude abides, you know, that kind of stuff. But whatever the case, the tribune had seen Jesus Christ die, watched him die, had the spear shoved in him, dealt with the body, sealed up the tomb, body disappears, he goes looking for it, chasing the bad guys, chasing the d disciples, running down the street, runs up into a room, turns the corner, and there's the guy he saw die, sitting there with the other guys. A little bit too dreamy a look on Jesus' face, but, you know, what do you do with that? And that's what he has to deal with. What do I do with this? Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Countless people have said it wasn't the Son of God come in the flesh. Countless people said it wasn't even the flesh. The Gnostics said it was just an, uh, an illusion, an apparent Jesus, because of course God could not even come close to being material. People come up with all sorts of things. He'll just deny it. The, the Way International had a book by its founder called Jesus Christ is Not God. I mean, he's right to the chase, right to the title. This must be. It has to be a description. You know the Spirit of God by this description. They can say all sorts of things. You say, okay, yeah, you might be spiritual. I just don't know what spirit you are of. The one that is of God in Christ declares Jesus Christ come in the flesh. And every spirit which does not confess Jesus is not of God. This, this is I look, this is the spirit of Antichrist. You know, and a lot of people don't realize this is the place where the word Antichrist comes from. All of your popular mythology involving left behind movies and the like. Antichrist comes from this passage. This is how it's described. Someone who does not confess Jesus Christ is not of God. Now, look at what it doesn't say. I'm not saying it doesn't include this. It doesn't say someone who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. That would be included, right? That would be certainly anti-Christian. Or it might be Christianity that is about everything but Jesus Christ coming to flesh. We can really get 
Next up, we have all sorts of topics that are a lot of fun. I was thinking of how nice it is to think that someone who got too caught up in eschatology, not realizing they were becoming the spirit of Antichrist by being too interested in eschatology, because they were not thinking of Jesus Christ, Son of God, come in the flesh, died to save sinners, death, burial, resurrection. They were thinking Russian tanks on the Syrian border, charts and graphs. All very religious, and you could be involved in a lot of religious things, and they're not bad to be religious. It is not sinful to have a chart about what you think revelation means. But if you do not confess Jesus Christ come in the flesh, the spirit in you isn't the spirit of God. It's Jesus Christ come in the flesh that made the difference for you. It's what you believe in. We, when we say we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, as including the sonship of Jesus Christ to God himself, and you're believing that that man, Jesus, is a marker for someone who had God as his son. Now, little children, verse 4, you are of God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, not only, not only are you recognizing, not only is this a description of you as a believer, but the description of you as a believer is a victorious believer. Or one who stands in a state of victory, having won. We have overcome them because you stand on a greater, greater uh, side. There's no, there's no longer a question of who's going to win this fight. We're reading um, Charles Williams' War in Heaven and on Wednesday nights, and uh, it's an apt title for what goes on in the book. But it's very clear for the believers early on, although there's a lot of action with the people who are seeking Satan and the like, that God is not having any problem. That God is not going to be, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? How shall we ever survive? The things of God are so much greater. But so often, because people have this question in their hearts and minds, how do I know they want measurements, and they want an emotional gain for that measurement made. Because if I get to say I'm a Christian, I get to, okay, then I'm probably going to heaven, and then I probably have my sins forgiven. And I'm probably with the right group, and we'll probably win in the long run. You know, God says, no, no, you already won. This is greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, what they say is of the world and the world listens to them. I want you to look at that passage real closely. Because often, that is the judgment that is made by others who want to have a description or a measure of what makes it Christian. Did all the world listen to you? Who else believes this? How long has this been around? 
all things that are measurements the world makes about success, and if you have enough name recognition, product, brand, placement, as Christianity with enough famous names attached to it, people will believe it. The world listens to them because it's of the world. If you know that the guide for you believing you're right is that a lot of people have listened to it. That's almost contrary to what is right. That someone would listen to it is a great thing. That someone would believe the gospel is a great thing. But it's a descriptor of how the world functions. The people that get listened to say the things the world wants to hear. Now it might not be, you say, well I don't think they want to hear about religion. Well they want to hear about power. They want to hear about the pride of life. They want to hear about beauty. An awful lot of people choose church for beauty. I, you know, when we go to, we're going to, what's that place called? Italy. Yeah, spring break with Davis and Manisha. And we're going to hopefully get to see the Sistine ceiling. Because I'm a big fan of Michelangelo, named my daughter after him. Um, a lot of people would choose, I mean, I, I, I don't know if any of you feel differently about the Roman Catholic Church. I believe it is uh, not Christian. <laughs> so uh, it, it is not where the gospel is any longer and hasn't been for millennia. But uh, beautiful churches. I mean, we're talking Michelangelo and the Vatican and Bernini and the and then uh, Brunelleschi's dome and uh, just all sorts of cool things. We could be led astray by all sorts of spirits that are not the spirit of God. People, spirits that everyone likes. The world says the things the world likes to hear and the world listens to it. Your concern should be, what's the phrase of our Lord? Woe to you when all men speak well of you. There was an early definition of orthodoxy by, interestingly enough, an unorthodox guy, St. Vincent. And uh, th that which has always been believed everywhere at every time. You know, by whom? How many? Do you have length of time? Do you have how many? He says, but we are of God, verse 6. This is, I put this in red because I think this is a key element. He's not talking about we, all of us, Christians. He's talking about we, the writer, John, the apostle. Whoever knows God listens to us. And he who is not of God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You want to recognize spirits? Don't place on it the world's method of getting success and agreement and power. So, well, the, the apostles were a long time back. Well, they weren't when he wrote the letter. It was two weeks. Christianity had been in these people's lives for just a few years. It hadn't been existing a generation earlier. 
They weren't pointing back to centuries of Christian tradition. There were no Christian traditions. The question is, do you listen to Jesus Christ's apostles? If you do, you can recognize the spirit of truth. When someone opens the word of God and brings out the book of Romans, the book of Corinthians, the book of Peter, James, and says, this is what has authority, we listen to them. Those who don't listen are not of God. And that's what you find in the modern church. To whatever degree the error is going on, it's someone going, I really don't think that St. Paul was right about this. Oh, you know, well, enjoy your new religion. Because it isn't Christianity anymore. Because it told me to recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error as to whether or not they listened to the Apostle John. Do you listen to the Apostle John? They have their authority, not because there was a lot of them, or they had a huge following, or because they were so far back. The authority of the apostles was given to them by Jesus Christ. It is a singular grant. Other people are famous. Other people go far back. Other people wear funny clothes. Other people built traditions. And it's bad religion, those people, the groups that follow those ancient figures merely because, what do they call them? The apostolic fathers. I got them in my library. They're up on top of the shelf. The apostolic fathers, the anti-Nicene and the Nicene and post-Nicene fathers. They wrote a lot, a lot more than in the Bible. And they said some sensible things sometimes, and sometimes just crazy talk. But it isn't how far back, how many people. It is whether or not Jesus Christ said, that guy, that's what Paul argues for, is that his authority as an apostle was given to him by Jesus Christ. The apostle John and Peter and the like were given authority by Jesus Christ. This authority comes down from above. God appoints it. So do we listen to them? Does it take us to hold the story they tell about when, when, when Paul in Corinthians is arguing for uh, the gospel uh, in chapter 15. Now I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preached to you the gospel which you received, in which you stand, by which you were saved, if you hold it fast, unless you believed in vain. We know that our religion, if you want to say, I am a Christian, and I have the same spirit that I think that guy, St. Paul, or that guy, St. Peter, had. I am of the same religion as they. It makes sense that you would say, and I hold the same things that they held. I get the things, I get the gospel, I get this message from the preaching of the word by these long-dead gentlemen. Now, what happens, this is how important it is. I would warn you against phrases like incarnation. That means uh, incarnation, carne is meat. So uh, incarnation is enfleshment. So they use that to title the 
Christ, God cometh come in the flesh, is the enfleshment of Christ, incarnation. And then you start using words like incarnational thinking. And you want to slap somebody. It's not that it's wrong, it just, you can make Jesus not there by using words like that. You cannot be thinking that you're describing anything actual and real. You want to be sure that what you're describing, because of your belief in the name of the son, his Son, Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ come in the flesh, so you want to be sure this description is not merely you chanting. Have I told you that story about, I was watching a documentary on Greek Orthodox monasteries, and I don't agree with Greek Orthodoxy either. And it was someone traveling in the Near East through Turkey and also all these Greek Orthodox monasteries following the Jesus prayer. And the Jesus prayer, what's up, my ears perked up. They weren't doing the Hail Mary full of grace. They were doing the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, be merciful to me, a sinner. I said, well, that's a good prayer. It was right out of that, you know, The, 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 what was it, tax collector parable that, you know, Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. And they were doing it. I said, well, that's an So I continued watching the documentary. Because this is central to Christianity. Lord Jesus Christ, mercy on you, crying out to God for mercy on you, a sinner. Something we've all done if we're Christians. Got to the end. It, was not, it wasn't an ennobling documentary, but I got to the end and, and the credits started to roll and they had this Greek Orthodox monk on a balcony, picturesque scene behind him, more of the monastery, more of Asia Minor. And he's got a rosary. And he is going through that chanted prayer so fast, so repeatedly. Just trying to work in hundreds of them because, of course, that's Remember, the words that John has left for you are a description if they're actual. They're not a description of an incantation. They're not a description of a word order. They're a description of you and how you think and speak. Do you believe, do you have faith that Jesus Christ has come of God to this earth, death, burial, resurrection, ascended to be in glory, will come again to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe it? That doesn't describe your belief system. And when you're wondering, because you're wondering how much, because it's not merely whether or not you have become a really difficult person about that doctrinal point, and you can't stop talking about it, because the other thing is that you love one another. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world. You see, it all holds together. You've got two things, Jesus Christ come in the flesh and the necessity of love, because Jesus Christ coming in the flesh was the love of God. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No man has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Your faith described, at least on two fronts, what you believe, does that describe what you believe? What the effect is, is that the effect? That you love one another. Is this the spirit you stand in? Because you've tested the spirit. It's not just, does it describe the spirit? It says, beloved, do not believe, but test the spirits. Have you checked? Have you looked at your own faith? (laughs) Over the years, I've met people that I presumed were Christians. They operated enough within the confines of Christian behavior and speech. Turns out later they weren't. And usually later, when you find out they weren't, it made a lot of sense. It described, you know, if I had been thinking more clearly about what what description a Christian was of, I would have gone, I don't know if they're, you know, I'm not going to call them a non-Christian, they can come to church, but I'm not going to just give my heart away entirely to their Christianity. Do you test every spirit? Are these the things that you find? Is this the description of your religion? If you build it from Jesus Christ and love on up, you might come up with very different conclusions than I have come up with. God bless you, but you'll probably have a really good life in Christ. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Keep us in your Son and keep us in your love. And in your Son's name we pray. Amen.